Hi, I'm Ben. I'm Corin. And I'm Jordan. And we want to welcome you to our podcast, Society Reborn. The first few weeks of this podcast, you'll get a glimpse into the lives and past history of myself, Corin, and Jordan. After these first few weeks, uh, we'll start bringing on guests every now and then uh, to cover just other topics in general in society that we've seen inconsistencies across the board, uh, whether that's something in regards to mental health in men and just in society in general, or whether that is standards for relationships and what people are expecting when they're going into a relationship. During each episode, we will also be trying a beer during the episode. And so throughout the entire episode, we are going to be telling you our thoughts and opinions on that beer from anywhere from flavor to just general overall taste and if we enjoy that beer or not. While listening to these podcasts, if you have any, if you're going through anything or just really struggling with anything, feel free to reach out to us. We have our email address is societyreborn2020 at gmail.com. Now you can reach out to us whether it's you're struggling with something and you just want advice or if you have a beer that you want us to try or a whiskey you want us to try. Feel free to reach out to us with ideas um, for future episode topics as well. Now let's get into this week's episode of Society Reborn. Alright, on this week's episode of Society Reborn, we are going to be trying the 2020 Lost Moon Russian Imperial Stout from Pyres Brewing here in Minnesota. Um, It is a Russian Imperial, obviously, as the beer name said, Uh, but it has... Uh, some notes of Belgian candy sugar, I believe, as well as uh, some roasted malts. Uh, me and Corn have both had this beer before, but it's been a while. Um, and the one thing I do remember about this beer, I did enjoy it, but I also remember it being extremely smooth for a nearly 13% alcohol beer. Um, so yeah, guys, what do you think of your first sip of it? Yeah, so like Ben said, he and I have both had this. Uh, I think it was sometime probably around last June, probably or so, that we tried it. Um, it's prior yeah. to us moving in together, I know. Um, like he said, definitely very smooth. Um, again, tasting it here. Uh, you get a little bit nowhere close to as sweet as either the gingerbread or the Christmas pancakes that we had. There's that little bit of sweet, though, on the front end, like you said, I think from those Belgian candies. Um but yeah, on the back end, you get uh, definitely a little bit more of that coffee and that cocoa kind of hit of almost that bitterness on the back end. It It is a absolutely wonderful beer. I totally agree. This was actually one of the first stouts that I had. Um, prior to this, I was pretty well strictly like IPAs and mm-hmm. a little more pale stuff. Ben brought this over. He and I tried it. And I was really scared to have you try the, this beer because it's a Russian Imperial, and I know yep. they're usually thicker, and I hadn't had this one before, so I was like, ah, oh, crap, this might go poorly, yeah. but you enjoyed it. Yeah, the the only darker beer like this that I really had before uh, was a Guinness Draught Stout, and I was not a fan of it, so I really didn't know what to think going into it. Like Ben said, this is a fantastic beer. I'm really excited now, though, that my palate is a little more refined um that i actually know how to talk about beer and like actually like taste some of those things other than uh-huh. just like drinking it um do not drink this fast like ben said 13 percent and incredibly smooth it hits hard <laughs> yeah you so, don't notice the you don't notice what you're drinking as you're drinking it right yeah it'll, it'll it hits you all of a sudden um i remember that from last time but yeah definitely a really great beer jordan curious what your thoughts are on it well 
if I had to put my thoughts into words, they would be that this is forebodingly dark, but as smooth and as gentle as, as a breeze. It's a rich concoction of roasted malts and Belgian candy sugar that lays thick on your palate with notes of cocoa and caramel. Now, where did that poetry come from? I, you know, I couldn't tell you. Just right off the top of my head. <laughs> I, am, I am a poet at heart. And so is this bottle, actually. This is an amazing bottle that I am currently reading off of right now. But um, actually, no, for real. Uh, definitely tasting a lot of cocoa. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got that kind of bitter chocolate taste, which I really like. Um, so yeah, that's the main thing I'm getting up front. We'll see how it is. It was, it warms up, but I gotta be honest. I don't think I can outdo the bottle. That's yeah. That bottle captures my thoughts perfectly. Uh, yeah. Like the, the language on the bottle that actually described the beer is great, but the actual bottle design itself is super simple yet really, really good. Um, they use the Pyres logo as kind of a moon. Um, and they have some branches around the outside of it. Uh, really cool design on it. Um, yeah, really, really love it. So, um, yeah, also a note to Corin with uh, trying stouts. For those of you listening who have not tried stouts, I don't recommend starting with a Guinness drought stout because it is a very thick stout, but it's not a very flavorful stout. So yep. you probably won't enjoy it if that's the first one you're going to have. Yeah, I I totally agree. I'm I kind of want to go back and try it now. I haven't. I'm like I said, I've only been really drinking stouts for six months. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm kind of kind of curious now that I do enjoy, you know, a good stout, going back and trying that again and kind of seeing, because I have a lot of friends that they love their Guinness. Yeah. Hey, nothing's better than a good old Guinness at about eight a.m. Eight a.m. It's wonderful. You're waiting late. Hey, Premier <laughs> League sometimes eight a.m. sometimes six thirty. Come on. <laughs> Five o'clock somewhere. That's right. Uh, so this week's episode, we're actually looking to talk, kind of get started on the uh, subject of mental health in our culture. And where I would like to start this conversation off, guys, is just talking about the stigma around mental health, kind of how that's changed and evolved over our brief lifetimes that we can remember it. And also, just our general thoughts on it. Um, yeah. So to start, what I want to—the question I want to ask—is, when you guys were growing up, do you remember a certain stigma or what's the word I'm looking for? Jordan, you're the English-like guy. Oh, that's a lot of pressure, man. Um, it's no, like I mean, I think, used to I think stigma is a good word. Stigma. I mean, stigma is the, it's a good Yeah, I mean, it. I think that's that's a, a fine way of describing it. Um, so, yeah, what would be the stigma when you guys were growing up that you remember either hearing or what was your perception of mental health and mental health issues overall as you were, kinda, like, younger? The overall kind of cultural attitude towards it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, again, this is probably going to out me as the – older guy here i to be honest like i don't he's got a walker (laughs) it's true (laughs) um we'll make fun of (laughs) never mind anyway uh um i think that's maybe one of the bigger things that that has changed in this 
area um, is when I was growing up, mental health wasn't really talked about mm-hmm. in relation to uh, kids. It, it was it was kind of more of a um, I mean you know excluding scenarios involving like you know trauma, right? But um, yeah, this is this is an issue that like I, I want to be careful about trying to like I, I don't want to mistakenly like sound like I'm trying to speak from a, a place of knowledge or authority on this to me it seems like this is an issue that is skewing younger as time goes on um where it's becoming something that people are talking about for for uh, for people at a much earlier age than they they than i remember it being when i when i was growing up um yeah i'm right there with you actually too because i remember growing up it always seemed like mental health was more of a college age problem and a middle life age problem. Yeah. So you're looking between, honestly, not even 18 or 19 year old kids. You usually heard about it between like 20 and probably your young 30s would be your typical uh, like age groups you would hear about it for. Yeah. But I remember like having a couple of friends in high school too that were would see therapists mm-hmm. or um, dealing with depression, and it was kind of a, um, it was something that was that like I was kind of told in confidence. It wasn't like something that they really wanted widely known, um, right. which is understandable. I don't yeah. know that that's specifically changed a whole lot, but mm-hmm. there there was that um, kind of aura to it where it was the the implication was you know something's very wrong kind of thing um and i don't know that it was treated it seemed like it was treated more of an, an emotional problem at the time than than yeah. I, I think it's maybe a little more clinical now in terms of just understanding brain chemistry and right um yeah, I, I I don't know if I'm describing that right, but I would this I would say you are. I don't know, Cora. What are your thoughts on that description? I would say he pretty much hit the nail on the head for what I remember the general overall perception of mental health was. Yeah, um, I think yeah, that's pretty solid for like my perspective on cultural as a whole. Um, I honestly, it wasn't something that growing up was really in the forefront for me mm-hmm. um it wasn't something that i saw a lot of i mean coming from small conservative rural town in the middle of iowa mm-hmm. it was 100 percent something that never really got talked about um and yeah there's looking back <laughs> and realizing like i i know there were those people in my class friends that i had that definitely struggled um but like it was never something that really got touched on at all uh, at that point um, in life. Um, never really talked about it. But I mean, one thing that really sticks out in my mind and disclaimer on the front end of this, uh, this was kind of the perspective that I kind of grew up with. Um, I never 100% agreed with it. Um, and 
I don't want to sound like I'm throwing my family under the bus. Um, I love my family. Um, they're fantastic people. And, and there's been a lot of discussion around this topic, even just within my own family, um, and a lot of kind of changed minds in there. But one of the ideas that I remember, kind of the, the key phrase is growing up as a Christian in a small town, the, the, I remember hearing the phrase, well, Christians shouldn't really struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never 100% agreed with that, but also I didn't really question it too much. Because right. like, there's an element of it that I... I th- there's the element of struggle with versus um, kind of... Okay, I've never dealt with it personally, and so I, I really, like, I don't want to sound like I'm discrediting anybody or throwing, like, saying it's not that bad. Yeah. Um, and so please don't take that, and if it sounds that way, I apologize. That's not what I'm trying to say. Um, but, like, it, it, as a Christian, there should be a little bit of a different perspective on it. Right. Um, and, and, like... As hard as it is, it shouldn't be falling into like kind of that like "woe is me" kind of mentality. That I think, if you don't have that hope of being a Christian, I can totally see why people fall right. into that. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what's kind of ingrained in my mind of yeah. as growing up. Like that was kind of that perspective that I kind of had on it. And that has greatly changed for me. And like I said, there've been a lot of discussions and changed minds within my family too. And we can talk a little bit more about that later if we want to. Yeah, that's definitely something, especially revolving around the stigma of mental health. I think it's important to also get into kind of that stigma around mental health, but also within the church, um, how that's changed. Cause that I've seen a huge change in that as well. Cause I, like you, grew up in a church where I don't think it ever was come out and said that exactly, but you also kind of got that perception uh, from different people. And even uh, some of my really close family friends, uh, when I had gone home during my senior year of college uh, to get help, um, they had talked to me about people they knew who they didn't feel like they could show up to church because they had a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. And the thing I want people to understand is, yes, my relationship with God has taken away my mental health struggle, but I know that's not going to work for everybody. Definitely. Because I know there's different types of mental health issues, some of which are chemistry-related in the brain, Mm -hmm. where... If like you have to take medication for it in order to basically beat that because of you're not producing enough of a certain uh, hormone in order mm-hmm. to combat that. Um, and that's something I think it's really important that people understand. And that is also something I think our culture is starting to realize that more of it's not a you problem there are many people who have just chemistry related problems within their body who aren't just don't produce certain amounts of hormones and that causes mental health struggles there's also a lot of people who sadly 
have either been bullied or had tragic life events happen mm-hmm. who then also will struggle from mental health issues. And I think even now in society, that's still a harder one for people to talk about. Yeah. And that's a harder one to be accepted by culture than the chemistry related issue. And I think part of it comes from there's no easy solution. Mm-hmm. I mean, easy in quotes, you right. know, with, with a chemical imbalance or something like that. It's it's relatively it's diagnose the issue and prescribe a treatment. Yep. When it's something like growing up with being bullied or something like that, there's no just well here's the treatment for it. Yep. And as long as you stick to that regimen, you'll be you'll be better. Right. Not gonna say okay, but yep. You'll be in a better place. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it's worth acknowledging here too that like like you were saying, Ben, this is we're kind of using a generic term for something that is a really hugely broad spectrum of issues. Um, And we kind of, we, we understand that this is going to be a topic that I think we touch on throughout Mm -hmm. the podcast from, from a few different angles. Um, Just kind of speaking generally now though, just in terms of maybe a, a cultural attitude shift towards a, the topic of just, quote unquote mental health like I there is an aspect to it too where um, where we it, it I'm trying to think how to say this the <laughs> I mean it, it's growing in exposure as a topic um, during a time too where there there's a lot of kind of cultural habits that we have that are not um that that aren't in sync with like healthy mindsets if Mm -hmm. so to speak like and I'm, i'm thinking specifically just speaking as somebody who doesn't really have a history of struggling with any kind of depression or um any kind of history of like needing medication for even just ad add issues focusing stuff like that I, I remember getting to a point um, right outside of college and we had talked in earlier episodes about just these kind of seasons of really dramatic shift and going um, into a, a just drastically different um, context for community and and for work in general and just the attitude that I saw around me geared towards work. And it mm-hmm. was like, it, it was not very long before I burned out. And that mm-hmm. was sort of my first right. struggle that I think is I have having talked to people since then is something that a lot of people go through. I think during that season um, where that, that was my first kind of encounter with I'm really like stressed and, burnt out and depressed and I had no idea how to deal with any of it. It Mm, was, it was a very like just completely trapped feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is, I I think like kind of an area where our cultural attitude towards just work in general is shifting Mm -hmm. to be more in line with, Oh, you know, 
if if you want good workers, you need to let them be, you know, whole people. <laughs> right. <laughs> is is a necessity, but um, but yeah, I mean, there is still that you know, it, that's still a long road before right. we get to a place where mm-hmm. I think we're we're doing that well, and looking back on that time period, just having, you know, people to talk to about it would have made a big difference. Or or people who had kind of understood, like, it's okay. You're in some ways, like you're learning your limitations right now. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, yeah. And there are ways to move forward, whether that is, you know, talking to somebody, whether it is finding some medication that helps you. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think everybody hits a point, at least, that you need to be intentional about your the health in terms of just your mind and emotional, right. yep. mental health along with physical health. Yeah, um, yeah I think that's an yeah. interesting thing, too, of just the having that conception that you need to focus on your mental health and your emotional health just as much as you do your physical health. Yeah. Especially in today's culture where you have models, athletes, all these people that are consistently pushed out of this is your ideal uh, person. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that's also in the last couple of years has I think really helped push and kind of help this narrative of mental health and people starting to slowly understand that it's something that needs to be talked about more is you have some of these athletes and actors or actresses that'll come out and say like yeah I struggled with this yep and it's okay if you struggle with it and that's a big thing too is having the people whose faces everybody sees be willing to say they've struggled with something that you struggle with too. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, one of the things kind of Jordan that you brought up right at the beginning of what you were saying there, um, but the kind of like the amount that it's being talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The interesting thing is like, I, I mean, I was looking up the numbers um, and looking a few different resources, obviously. And so like getting, consistent numbers is hard Mm -hmm. but the reality is is like i was looking back at numbers from like roughly 1990 versus numbers from today and the prevalence is really no different um you're talking right around that 25 to 30 percent of americans struggle with it right and that was the same in 1990 as it is now i i mean looking here the the number the percentage of treatment that's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is just the openness to talk about it. Um, right. You look mm-hmm. back and it, it was kind of that thing that, yeah, it never really got talked about. Um, which is interesting. It, it, it's kind of... Because we often think that like, well, this is kind of a new wave of thing that we're dealing with. And mm-hmm. no, it's something that's kind of always been there. It's just now at the forefront of society. Right. And I think part of it too why you see a lot of people saying it's a larger issue than it ever has been is because we're seeing the issue in younger individuals. Mm -hmm. And so 
in different points of history, when these issues would arise from people, they would be out of the house, away from family, away from everybody they grew up with, basically. And so parents wouldn't really probably know unless the kid wanted to tell them of, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Um, Whereas now we are seeing it very heavy in younger college kids all the way through down to your late elementary middle school kids. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's the startling thing to me is this is getting pushed younger and younger where we're seeing very, very serious mental health trouble. Um, And that's something... I mean, my old cross-country coach had mentioned that they're seeing more and more athletes that are dealing with this. Um, And I don't know if that's because they're necessarily wanting to talk about it at an earlier age or if part of that is is we become a very screen-facing culture instead of... I Mm -hmm. I remember even when me and Corin were growing up, because we're like light years younger than Jordan. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Light years are... We're only like what? Seven years younger than you? Light years are a measurement of distance. I I was going to say that, but I didn't want to sound all nerdy, so... (laughs) I, however, have no problem with it. Well, you're not even that much older than us, honestly. (laughs) No, but I mean, like... And I remember growing up, we were... Having a cell phone was very rare for a kid. Yeah. It was a lot more face-to-face yeah. interaction. Yep. No, and but, I mean, there there is a point to what you're saying there where it's, you know, even a couple, being a couple of years older, like, at the, the rate, like, technology is moving mm-hmm. and progressing, like, a couple of years is a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I we were watching that... Uh, documentary the other day what was it the social dilemma social problem oh yeah that one the one on netflix where they you had like the extreme center yeah do you remember yeah. what it was called i think it's social it's social dilemma i think or social network yeah no it's a so I, yeah. it was social like a social network. problem okay yeah. um but yeah just the what, what they had mentioned towards the end of that just the amount of time spent in front of a screen and not just a screen, but literally like a device that that's designed to be addictive and that is exposing you to essentially standards that you're then implicitly kind of supposed to live up to. And never going to be able to. Yeah, right. right. Um, of everybody sort of like curating the life that they're going to show other people mm-hmm. and secretly like we're all crazy struggling. Yeah, we all... Um, think we're not adequate enough because right. we don't think our life's as good as Timmy's or Susie's life that they've posted. Right. And you it's know. this kind of like feedback loop of shame where you're you're constantly striving to have stuff to put out there for the world and constantly feeling ashamed that like you're not that you don't have as much of a, as other people or or that you're not as successful as everybody else's curated stuff. Well, they're all probably feeling the same way about your stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that that was interesting. That's kind of one of the things that mm-hmm. occurred to me when I was talking earlier about, like, this issue being applied more and more to younger groups of people. That just wasn't uh, – that, that burden of comparison hit me 
I think way later than it probably does kids now. Um, and I, I'll say this, I mean, like middle school and high school have always been tough years for everybody. That's mm-hmm, right. just like a historical, right. <laughs> like you can look back at eighties movies and it's the same stuff, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think honestly, one of maybe the biggest things, and I don't like, I want to be careful about saying this cause this is sort of just a theory I have, but divorcing the idea of mental health from from a conversation of self-worth because i've seen it go both ways where um you can almost like use you you almost have this sort of uh view of of mental health or or issues that you're struggling with almost as like a social capital like kind of using hardship and trauma as social capital where if you don't have you know things to to overcome you're not worth as much as a person does that make sense right yeah 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 versus you know other people who feel like they're total crap because they can't stop struggling with mm-hmm. th- you know um i i think it would be helpful if we could learn to separate those a little bit just in terms of and and treat then like approach it on its own like mm-hmm. your your mind is a part of you yeah and and it needs intentional support mm-hmm. from other people that's a lot of what we talk about on yep. this podcast is is just the role that community plays in anybody's life right but also support from you like you need to you know give it time to focus on other things besides work (laughs) focus on other things that are help make you a whole person Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's interesting that we're seeing kind of all these mindfulness apps and and like people having to kind of relearn to sort of give their brain space yeah yeah i think it's funny that you bring that up because i mean just today i told you while i was on a break from work and i told corin this later but the fact that the last few days at work I've just thrown my phone behind me on my bed mm-hmm. so I just can't look at it um, and then even at night I'm going to start just leaving it downstairs so I don't have it in my room um, and I think it's funny though that we have like the mindfulness mindfulness yes I said that right the first time uh, apps on our phone when I I personally think that technology's had a lot to do with how we are our minds are no longer being worked out consistently because we have become so reliant upon being able to go to our cell phone Mm -hmm. and either look something up or just scroll mindlessly for hours um and the social media aspect like i did look it up it is the social dilemma was the name of that movie um and that was my biggest takeaway from it too, because I remember when I did leave college uh, to go get help with like my depression that I was going through. I ended up deleting my fa- like original Facebook profile, ended up getting a new one later, mm-hmm. but I still don't have Facebook on my phone. In order for me to go on to, I have to go to the web browser and then search it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the only social media I have on my phone is uh, Twitter as a newsfeed, mm-hmm. basically for soccer news Mm -hmm. um and then i have instagram on there 
just to keep up with some people yep. and then to post things podcast related on it. Um, and eventually I'm just going to delete my personal Instagram and just use the podcast to literally just post stuff on that. Sure. Um, and I think that's a big part of it is yeah. we've become so engrossed with just going to our social media accounts and trying to see what's Jimmy doing today? How's his life look today? Mm-hmm. And that's become our perception of reality. Freaking Jimmy, and man. It's, <laughs> it's just so twisted. And that was the big, the biggest takeaway I had from that whole entire movie was that. Yeah. Of yeah. just the amount of effort that goes into keeping you trapped in this endless cycle of going back to those apps was insane. Right. And that's a little bit, I think, of what I'm getting at to you just from a personal perspective. Like that struggle is... 10 times harder for me when it's also wrapped up in in my own sort of mental conversation about whether or not like how how my performance in that area affects my value as a person Mm -hmm. if i can approach that like just understanding right off the bat like i'm i'm valuable as a person regardless of how like the struggle with my phone is going or I'm a valuable person regardless of whether or not I feel like I can get out of bed today. Right. Um, it, it, it just makes it a more approachable subject, I think personally, but Mm -hmm. also, I mean like to talk about with other people and actually invite other people into, um, and yeah, I mean, it's like, I, and it seems like it also gives you space to actually kind of think through like what are we like your own definition of what a healthy mental state is because it's Mm -hmm. a lot of times it feels like you're kind of struggling without like any sort of end goal you're just like it, it without really giving thought to what what would a healthy me look like right yeah and I think, yeah, Jordan and I were hanging out with some people last week um, and we were talking about uh, that idea. And like, yeah, I think what you're saying is like, think about like that end goal of like, this is what I'm looking for mm-hmm. and, and, and what kind of points you towards that direction. We were, we were talking, like we started to realize like those days that when somebody looks at you and goes, hey, how was your day? Mm-hmm. The days that you go, yeah, it was actually a really good day. We were realizing those are the days that I barely touch my phone. Like, mm-hmm. and yeah. so like, I mean, I myself will say I'm terrible about it. <laughs> I am on my phone on a very regular basis every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and like one thing that I, I want to try to do better is just that putting the phone away, you. getting rid of it. And I mean, mm-hmm. I would challenge anybody out there, whether you're struggling with mental issues or not, like saying, I'm going to put my phone away for a whole day. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hang out with some people. I'm going to do something away from a screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You're going to feel a million times better by that end of the day. Yeah. I promise you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, too, it's important, kind of going back to what Jordan was saying, of if you're having a conversation about mental health with somebody, it's very important to not take your own experience into that mm-hmm. because every single person is different. Yep. So it's very important for you to go in and not try to relate your story to other people's stories. And that's something even myself, I struggled a lot with probably Mm -hmm. for like a good couple years of always trying to like 
find a way I could compare it back to my life, and I was like, dude, it, 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 it's not the same. And even with the best intentions of, I want to figure out how to help you, Yo. but all it does is it becomes a pity party for who's had it worse in life. Right. Right. That's, that's I think, what I'm getting back to with that kind of social capital thing. I don't at all want to underplay, you know, people who are actually struggling. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the, like, and, and I, I don't know how real this is as, like, a phenomenon, but, like, the, the idea of you're not an interesting person <laughs> unless you've struggled with depression yeah. is... is ridiculous and it's also probably driven by a lot of people who really haven't struggled with depression very much it's it's just yeah it even goes back to like when i talked about my story of people that have said wow you have such a cool story i wish i had a story like that right no you don't i promise you that's if i could have had it easier yeah i would have signed up for it in a in a blink of an eye. Yeah, that's right. exactly what I was thinking of, was remembering back to you saying that, like, 100%. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and it, that's definitely an interesting thing, too, because I've always wondered how that's also shifted kind of the conversation of how people who haven't really dealt with, like, a struggle with depression or anxiety uh, or other, like, mental health-related issues but have felt, I guess, left out because they haven't had those struggles. And then they kind of try to put out the story of, hey, I've struggled with this. Mm -hmm. And how that's kind of slowed down progress that has been made. But ultimately, I don't think it's been slowed down because I've seen a lot of progress, especially over the last... I can't even say 10 years now because I was like just starting college. That's kind of sad. Uh, so probably this is the last like 15, 16 years, like back to even when I was in high school. Because I remember the first time I tried to go to a counselor, uh, like my dad really wanted me to go to one. Um, and I absolutely love him for having me go to one. He understood that I needed to. But me and him have even had this discussion of it didn't really do anything because I didn't want to be there. Right. right. Um, and that's something that even that would have been going into my freshman year of college. So it would have been summer of 2013. Mm-hmm. So it's, eight years ago, yep. almost, just if about. my math's correct. Just about. Um, so even eight years ago, that was a thing that I didn't want to do because I didn't want people knowing that I was going to see a therapist. Because I didn't want people to think something was wrong with me and didn't want people to think that I was a weak soul or weak individual who couldn't leave it, who wasn't even strong enough to help himself um, and wasn't even strong enough to keep himself going. And hmm. that that general stigma, I think, is evaporating, which is really, really great to see. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I think even just the fact that that conversation surrounding this is so much more widespread is a mm-hmm. good thing overall I mean um, yeah getting back to like your kind of your history and experience with with that though or like just even kind of intentionally seeking out ways to 
find healing in that area of your life? Like, do you remember what it was that kind of started shifting your perspective from, I don't want people to know Mm. that I went to see a therapist to I'm doing a podcast to talk about (laughs) my personal history with mental health issues. Yeah. So ironically, it was a long period. Um, so let's see. So I knew the thing that really kickstarted it would have been February, right around Valentine's Day. I think it was like February 4th or 6th. So actually in a few days. Mm-hmm. Um, but a pastor that I knew had committed suicide and I had gone to his funeral. Uh, and it was at his funeral that it kind of kickstarted me trying to find something that would make me happy. Hmm. And me trying to find an outlet um, to be able to not even express myself, but just to feel value and feel worth. Um, And that took three and a half-ish years. um, Because it wasn't then until my senior year of college when I decided, all right, I don't like the way things are going. The only resort I have left is to go and uh, see a psychologist. And so I did. I was like, it's worth it at this point. Mm-hmm. I literally have tried everything. Nothing else worked. I don't really care. I want to keep living. Mm-hmm. I need to, A, figure out what's wrong with me. B, try and solve it. And try to get better and get on a healing process. Mm-hmm. Um, but even to start a podcast and talk about it, I don't remember if I mentioned this in the first episode, but it took about a whole year of feeling like this was something that I was supposed to do mm-hmm. to actually getting up the confidence and courage to do it. And even as we were recording that first episode, it was still very hard for me because I knew that my life would be out there for anybody who wanted to hear anything. Mm -hmm. And that scared me. Um, I would say it even probably still scares me that it's out there. Can't imagine why. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And that's something too, even I have... One of my managers at work, um, he had asked me, or I'd asked him if he had listened to the podcast yet, because before he became a manager, we were really good friends working in like the same position, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said he had started to listen to it, but had stopped because he didn't know if there were things that I was going to say that he didn't already know that would change his perception of me, because he didn't realize how raw and open I was being. And to be honest, I didn't realize I was being that open and that raw. And my answer to him, even today I had to tell him because he said he was thinking about finishing the first episode today. Mm -hmm. And he asked me again, he goes, are you sure it's okay if I like listen to it? And I was like, yes, to me, it doesn't matter that, I don't report directly to him at all, Um, but it doesn't matter because this conversation is bigger than a job. This conversation is larger than anything 
in my opinion, that the world deems as valuable as currency or a way of life, mm-hmm. this conversation is more important. Because this is the conversation that can actually have impact on people's lives. That I don't care how uncomfortable it is for me. It needs to be shared and needs to be talked about. Mm -hmm. Because if it just helps one person, then it's helped. It's done what it's supposed to do. That's an interesting conversation to me that, that... I mean, you know, whether that is the way it should be or not, like, is, I think, a a reality to the two people who are struggling. You know, like you said, I I, I think there is a lot of value in being open about that kind of thing. And in some ways, that's, that's sort of, I don't know how you really find healing without in some way inviting at least somebody Mm -hmm. else to speak into that right but that being said it's you know like you said your boss is saying are you sure you really want (laughs) me to hear this that's a scary like conversation to have definitely i had to think about it too which i didn't think i would have to i literally thought it would be like okay this episode would be out there i will have no problem with anybody ever like listening to it but just in that phrasing, yeah, the way he yep. said it, I was kind of like, "Oh crap!" Like, do I actually want you to listen to this? And mm-hmm. then in my mind, I was just thinking to myself, "You view him as a like good friend, yeah. Why would you not want him to know?" And even me, to be honest, he knows probably ninety to ninety nine percent of the things that I had mentioned in that first episode. But it is in a totally different way that he will hear it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That also is kind of something that was going on in the back of my head of, did I maybe say something in there that might get somebody to think differently about me? And do I care about that? And ultimately I ended on, no, I don't care because I don't, I, my identity is not in how other people see me. My, I identify myself the way that God identifies me which is his son who he loves Mm -hmm. and so to be honest I I don't care what people necessarily think about me Mm -hmm. to a certain extent if that makes sense no it does which I mean like you're saying doesn't necessarily make it less scary but Mm -hmm. I I mean I think that's a good direction to Mm -hmm. be heading and that and it gets back to that kind of like comparison thing that seems to be such a huge source of you know i i think one of the huge like main drivers of why things like anxiety and depression are are so kind of widespread right now is this like we you kind of don't have a lot of space anymore mhm to really figure out one, you know, who you are, but also get to a point of of really being okay with who you are, mm-hmm. right? In the light of you know who everybody else is, yep. say like it's all right that I'm not, you know, 
X, Y, and Mm -hmm. Z the way this other person is. And I actually kind of like that. And it's not a sign Mm -hmm. of like anything wrong with me that, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm probably not phrasing that very well, but, um, but I mean that, that again, much easier said than done. Right. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Yes, I mean, as we've been talking, obviously our beers have warmed up. Yeah. This is a very abrupt transition. Yep. But it's the There's best no kind good of transition way to. to a beer. There's literally <laughs> zero transition that's going to happen in this. Um, to be honest with you, that might be the thing I appreciate most about this beer is the flavor. It changes, but it's not as drastic as the other stouts we've had. And, Corn, you're nodding a little bit. Jordan, I want to know your opinion and how warm yours is, kind of, because, I mean, one, you're closer to the fireplace, so it might be warmer than ours. Uh, but two, I do know every single one that's warmed up, you've always said it's been way sweeter, and there's been some that have been too sweet. Um, but to me, I think it's still very much a balance. You get a little bit more of, like, the Belgian sugar candy there, but not really much. Moment of honesty. Who here has ever had or knows what a Belgium sugar candy is? Not a clue. I'm pretty sure it's like the hard candy, like the you know, like the candy ribbons. Oh, I'm pretty sure those are Belgian. Let me, I will double check. Thoughts on beer while I look this up. Actually, I mean, I'm really kind of wondering what a Belgian sugar candy is. But any the the, um, yeah, no, I I I think you're right. It definitely has not skewed sweeter. As it's warmed up, I think mine's... It's still relatively cold, so I may be speaking a little too soon here. I'm starting to taste more of the caramel. Caramel? I've never pronounced it as caramel in my entire life until this moment. You're I'm, getting more sophisticated. I like maybe it. that's correct. <laughs> it, I, I've always pronounced it caramel. In in a shout-out to my roots, I'm going to call it caramel. Actually, yeah, I guess it yeah, depends on how say I'm that's... saying it. Sometimes I say it caramel. Sometimes I say it caramel. It depends on how it comes up in a sentence. Always caramel. This is, this is weird. Um, yeah, no, the, that definite notes of caramel, but not caramel. Um, so I'm tasting a little bit more of that. It still has, and this is something I really like, it still has that kind of like um, unsweetened, uh, cocoa like I'm trying to dis- figure out how to describe this but this like aftertaste where it feels like you've just kind of eaten something sort of cocoa-y and bitter mm-hmm. um, I really like that okay I'm going to interrupt here because yep. I have looked up an actual definition of Belgian candy sugar so I'm just going to read this straight away it's from northernbrewer.com which is good because it's brewery related Perfect. Uh, so Belgian candy sugar is used especially in stronger Belgian beers, such as a double and a triple. It is an inverted sugar, one that has been converted from sucrose to a mixture of fructose and glucose. By heating the water with some acid, it is used to boost the alcohol content without adding extra body to the beer and without forcing the yeast to produce uh, invert taste. Also can be used as a priming sugar. So it basically adds sweet, it basically sweetens a beer and it will bring out more of a caramel taste yep. to the beer. 
I owe everybody an apology that the this was my dyslexia acting up. I read that as Belgian sugar candy. Yeah, I knew you read it that was wrong, actual. Like, and I knew candies. what it said on the bottle. So, well, <laughs> I feel like an idiot now. Thank That's you. good. You should. <laughs> then my mind, much like this beer, is forebodingly dark, but as smooth <laughs> as a gentle breeze, rich with concoctions of roasted malts and Belgian candy sugar. Hey, there we go. You got it right. Caramel. <laughs> Yeah, Not I mean caramel. this. To be honest, this beer might be one of the better ones we've had, just because the flavor doesn't change. Yep. Which for me is weird to say with a stout, because I do appreciate the flavor change. But something like this, I can appreciate because it stays smooth. Yeah, no, it's the pretty taste consistent. Stays the same going through. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely really enjoy it. I'm trying to decide. Whether that that more bitter aftertaste has gotten pushed farther back as it's gotten warmer and it's a little bit sweeter, just like mm-hmm. while you actually still have it and it's left only that bitter, or if I'm just getting used to the bitter. Mm-hmm. It's one of the two. Not really sure which it is, but yeah, totally agree. Um, mine's probably sitting around 40 degrees. Rough guess right now. Yeah. But it, it's it's great. I really like Somebody it. Somebody who listens to our podcast told me today that whenever we talk about the temperature, they imagine us sitting around with like actual thermometers that we're dipping into our beer. Yeah, think, actually, might not be a bad idea. I think it might be something that some... is worth there doing. Yeah, that would probably be a good idea because then yeah. we could actually give good readings mm-hmm. of it. We and then we could tell you what it would be best served at as well. Yeah, exactly. We we need spreadsheets. Yeah, we really Massive should start taking notes. Full I mean, of our beer temperatures. Yeah. We're only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks in, and I'm already starting to lose track. Well, here's so. a question: You had, do you have the Untapped app? No. Do you have the Untapped app? I do not. But okay, so I, I have the it. Untapped app. Of course, I do. Um, <laughs> and you guys don't, of course. That was going to be really epic if you said you didn't have it either. No. Um. So what it is basically, you're able to log your beers that you got had. it. Yep. And then you can either write reviews hmm. of them or not. I always write something in it. One, I want to be able to look back and see what it is I've had. Mm-hmm. Two, I think it helps other people who I have on there mm-hmm. that know how similar their tastes are in beer uh, mm-hmm. to mine who also enjoy it. Um, it's something I actually might have them to yeah. just make a separate profile of just Society Reborn. Yep. Where we basically like just compile idea. all three of our perspectives ideas on, on it and counter counter proposal. Seeing as we just spent the last what forty minutes talking about how bad screen time is, Society Reborn scrapbook. Ooh, Ooh. I kind of like the idea. I'll uh, be honest, uh, that's a good idea. Actually, fair warning. I'm going to put no effort into this whatsoever. That's good. <laughs> but the if you guys want to do better. it. <laughs> I, I, think it's a, I think it's a good idea. Be get a good our, get our scrapbook on. Yeah. I still think I will I will at least log the beers on yeah. my untapped profile. Either way. Just to have them. Yeah, have the log somewhere. Yeah. Actually, no joke. Yeah. It would be kind of cool to save the label off of some of these bottles. And Yeah, I mean... Once we move out of the same place, I will definitely be on board to yeah. take labels off that can be. The problem is going to be the cans Yep, are going to be a lot harder, but I think there's a way to do it. Or we just take a nice picture of them. and 
or we have somebody just cut them. That works too. Yeah. Anyway, enough about our random project ideas. Uh, <laughs> we, we've spent a good chunk of this podcast talking about kind of that. Um, we started out with just stigma in general. Um, and then we spent a while talking about like Ben, you talking about that kind of stigma within yourself almost of like not mm-hmm. wanting to necessarily work on it for yep. lack of a better word. Um, so what are your guys' thoughts on encountering and dealing with people who look at it as it really shouldn't be an issue? And I, I'm thinking a little bit back to kind of what I talked about at the beginning, like mm-hmm. that perspective of people who say, well, it really shouldn't be that big of a deal. Um, I mean, I, what are your guys' thoughts? What What is the approach? How do you have those discussions? And I'll I'll get to my kind of story there more mm-hmm. towards the end when we... But I want to hear your guys' thoughts first. So I'll kind of go first. For me, it's actually easy. That's why I said I'll always go first. I'll give Jordan time to think about it. He's a deep thinker. Um, Hopefully less awkward um, pauses then. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Probably not. Maybe maybe just a slower thinker. Yeah. Um. So for me, honestly, it's kind of easy as somebody who's dealt with it and come from a background that I grew up in a church. For me, it's easier to talk about and have that discussion. Um, a lot of it just revolves around the fact of if somebody thinks that way, I can look at them straight in the face and say, I was that person. So where did that opinion come from that you have? And let's see how we can talk about it and either find common ground or... You can educate me. I can also educate you. Yep. And we could stay having our differences, but at least you will know both sides of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something we've mentioned numerous times in this podcast of just having that openness to be able to have a conversation and have a disagreement and be able to have it. Yep. Um, and be able to come away from it growing in your knowledge whether your mind has been changed or not doesn't matter it ultimately matters that you have this new perspective so you can at least appreciate people who have that same perspective um so for me that's been the biggest thing and even the night i got or the day i got baptized um in iowa i had like they had wanted everybody to write something down in a note card and that's what you were going to say well, lo and behold, it ended up snowing a lot the night before. So I had left my campus early to get down to the church, which was 25-ish minutes away. It ended up taking me 45 minutes to an hour to get there. So when I got there, I didn't have time to write anything down uh, before I had gone out and kind of shared. Classic college procrastinator. I know. Um, and so I ended up basically just sharing my story. Um, obviously it wasn't an hour long or like it was on the podcast. It's a much shorter version, but after that service, I had, uh, one mother come up and talk to me and just say how grateful she was that I had shared that because she had a son who was struggling with the same thing. And for me, that meant more to me than anybody than honestly probably anything else I'd heard that day of 
me just sharing what I had experienced in a church was able to help one person who was there feel better and more at ease about a situation they were also going through. And that meant a lot. And that's something that I really hope we can continue to see. And if people have a different opinion than my opinion or your opinion or Jordan's opinion, that we can actually just have that conversation to just help people understand what it is we go through. Clearly having time to think about this did not speed me up at all. (laughs) (laughs) Ben was just so well-spoken that you just had to listen. You couldn't be thinking. Yes. (laughs) That'll be our excuse. That is exactly what happened. Um, no, I, I think what Ben said there too, just, I really, I, I really liked the way you approach that with the, you know, being open with your experience and saying, okay, now tell me why you think that. And mm-hmm. let's see, let's like talk towards each other, not around each other yep. is huge. And, and, I don't want to say like an art form, but definitely something that people don't necessarily do intentionally anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking to myself here too. <laughs> the, I mean, I mean, that's a big question, honestly, in terms of, you know, quote unquote, dealing with people who maybe don't take that seriously. I honestly, it depends on, on the relationship context that you're in. I mean, yep. coming up against somebody who doesn't take that seriously is a lot different when they're a total stranger versus when they're someone in your family. And, um, I mean, if you're just kind of waiting around for every stranger out there to, to take you seriously, that's going to be a painful life. I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> but... But, and, and that's why I like kind of what you said there, Ben, because that mm-hmm. is a way to actually talk to strangers. And I think like I, I tend to sort of maybe write that off a little bit more than I should. Mm-hmm. It, it is worth, you know, getting to know people you don't know and not just dismissing their opinion because you don't know them. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking more towards you know i i guess what i for me what i would say and this is kind of again speaking to myself cuz i i feel like i would be much more in a position of somebody who doesn't understand um what somebody is you know struggling with in this area versus feeling misunderstood myself um what i would say there is a, a kind of you know if this is somebody close to you that's struggling somebody you care about whether or not you consider it like a quote-unquote real problem isn't really the point it it's their perspective on life right now Mm -hmm. and if your goal there is like truly support then meet them where they're at Mm -hmm. i you know i mean Mm -hmm. I, i feel like that the people who have done that for me have been the biggest catalyst for change in my life and the biggest catalyst for growth. 
yeah. in me mm-hmm. personally and just maturity is is not people that tried to get me to change so much as people who are willing to to kind of come sit in the dirt with me and let me process with them mm-hmm. so i yeah. to me that gets down to yeah what what's your what's your goal what's your priority yeah. do you want to love this person or do you want to be right right yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like yeah. that uh yeah i mean shocker i kind of figured that's what you guys would answer um but yeah i i totally i pretty well yeah i agree 100 percent with what you guys have been saying um i agree like ben like you said like having that conversation um i think there's a delicate way to go about it mm-hmm. um so i mean just talking a little bit more about like from my experience uh like i said i haven't really ever struggled with mental health um mm-hmm. But my sister has, um, and she's given me permission to say that. Okay. Um, so <laughs> don't worry, I'm just not just putting that out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, and so it, it's been interesting, like that revolving. And so, like, so like I said, like growing up, like that perspective um, that came from my mom of like, yeah, it it's not really something that a Christian should deal with. Um, mm-hmm. That led to a lot of strife. Um, in mm-hmm. our family. Um, I never really knew my sister really struggled with much of that mm-hmm. uh, until really honestly just a few years ago um, when she just kind of opened up and let me in on it. Um, and shortly thereafter, she mentioned it to my mom and it honestly made things really tough for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, I agree, having that conversation and bringing it up and then there's kind of two ways. I mean, my sister for quite a while just kept like trying to keep it as like, okay, I don't want this to boil over. Don't want it to be in a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but really there, there wasn't a lot. Like my mom is wonderful. 100%. She, she loved on my sister still, um, mm-hmm. even though she didn't necessarily have the same perspective on it. Um, but honestly what it took was my mom, my sister and myself just sitting down and finally, just having that conversation, just being very direct and honest mm-hmm. about this is the reality. And I I don't want to sound like, let's see, I'm trying to figure out how to best put this. Um, yeah, like just because people don't see that doesn't, <laughs> they aren't bad people for that. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times right. it comes from they just, like you said, they don't have the perspective. They don't, they don't mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. it. Um, and you just have to be completely just sometimes blunt and just put it right there and say, this is the reality end of story. Um, and I mean, my sister and myself, we were terrified of having that conversation. <laughs> we were kind of worried about how it would go, but it, it turned out to be the best thing in the world. Yeah. Um, and so 100%, like, I agree, Ben. Like, just having that conversation. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to be blunt. Um, mm-hmm. If you're somebody that's dealing with that, where you have somebody close to you that really is kind of, like, not necessarily seeing it in the same light that you're seeing it um, and you're struggling, like, I think finding somebody who can be kind of a bit of an ally and be in your corner with that is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um because I, in that conversation, I was able to kind of play a bit of that mediator um, mm-hmm. of had it been just my sister and my mom. Yeah, it's it's possible that that could have been a very different conversation. Right. Um, 
because you know when when you just because my mom didn't understand it if she was coming from that perspective um she could have yeah really i mean she could have said something that would have set my sister off um but being able to have somebody there to kind of keep that peace in between i think is really important too in that conversation right which i i get that i i i think that kind of is getting at something or, or sort of surrounding something else that like as much as i think it can be really important to sort of separate your own sense of self-worth mm-hmm. from this you know from your own sort of um investigation I, I don't have a good word for this but like the your your own sort of journey in towards your like mental health for yourself I I, w- I think that would be important to say to people too that like where you know somebody you care about is going through this too mm-hmm. don't take responsibility for their mental health like that it's not it's not your fault mm-hmm. and it's not your responsibility right. to fix either that's you you cannot take that um you you can't take somebody's own like agency away from them mm-hmm. in in pursuing health in any field but like that like i i could understand being and this is kind of what i'm getting at being close to somebody who's struggling with like depression or, mm-hmm. or any kind of mental health struggle feeling like I'm responsible for it. And I could also see myself doing way more damage from that sort of like the anxiety I feel from that or the denial mm-hmm. that I'd want to go, that I'd be tempted to kind of oh. push back on and be like, I, I don't, I don't want this to be true of you. Right. Mm-hmm is uh, you know yeah. right and it, that's something i think is important too is if you're somebody who a loved one is talking to you about this mm-hmm. or if you're somebody who's afraid to have a conversation with a loved one about you going through this it is really important to understand that if you're not the person going through a mental health struggle the person who's going through it has been putting on a facade of who Mm -hmm. they are for so long, which is now has developed into the way that you see them as being that is them. And the reality is, is now they're taking off that facade and being them true, their true self and opening Mm -hmm. up about their, who they truly are. And I know from personal experience that loved ones will tend to either accept it right away or they will say either they that you're making it up because they think that now you're putting on this facade um, and you're being a fake individual when in reality you're not or like Jordan said that loved one may very well think that, oh, what is it that I could have done to yep. help? When in reality, there's really nothing. Right. Um, the only thing you can do 
is just love on those people. Mm -hmm. Just love on those who are close to you as best you can. And then you are doing everything that you can. Right. And ultimately think- it comes down to whoever's going through that struggle. It comes down to when do they want to actually admit that they're going through that? Yep. Um, and when do they want to tell you about it? Yeah. And I think, I think that's really important what you're saying there, Ben. And I think some of that response from people who are seeing now a loved one admitting that they're going through that, that yeah, they've been used to seeing this other side. Now you, you're throwing this at them and, and there's, I mean, you kind of talked about it too, like a little bit of that, like almost denial. Like I, I don't want to see you going through that. And so I'm having a hard time accepting that. And I, th- I think again, I want to be very clear. Love my mother to death. I think that's where it was for her. Mm-hmm. I think she just didn't understand Which I totally what it get. was. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, 100%. I, I, when I say denial there, I'm not trying to right. say that from a place of judgment at all. Right. Like, no. I, don't, I don't have kids, but I imagine well, that don't? has to be. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> send your emails to Society Reborn. <laughs> If you're my kid out there no um but, <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> to be clear jokes. <laughs> that is a joke i do not have children running around out there that i don't know about i swear um <laughs> i love the edit mark that ben just made <laughs> anyway um yeah no i i don't have kids so I, I like I can't I, I can't even imagine the kind of personal torture that it's got to be to watch your kid try to negotiate something like this right. and, uh-huh. and not be able to help you. Right. And it, it's I mean, again, it's got to be like the ultimate in in your own sort of learning humility and self-denial mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. not yep. try and like be a parent to them right in that situation and just be a support Mm -hmm. that's the craziest thing is when my dad had requested that i go see a psychologist um and i ended up going i was actually having this conversation with somebody not even that long ago maybe a week or two ago now Mm -hmm. um of the fact that when I went, I knew exactly what it is that I needed to say to make the person believe that I was totally okay so I could get out of there and not be there. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, I did not want my family spending money on this issue that I think, honestly, looking back now, I think I knew I had. I just didn't want... I just didn't think I needed somebody else to help me work through it mm-hmm. whereas yeah. my dad I don't know his whole story I know a lot of it but I think with what he had been through um, I think he could very much see that I needed help and he was mm-hmm. in a position where he was like my son needs help I want to be able to help him mm-hmm. and that's what sucks is like looking at it now i'm like man my dad wanted to help me like he knew what Mm -hmm. was going on in my life already right but i didn't want to be helped and it goes directly to what you said of you can't you can't force the help upon somebody who's going through it 
Yep. Which sucks if you're the person that wants to help. Yeah. And it sucks because, I mean, a lot of times, I imagine this is something that parents, like, negotiate their whole lives. But a lot of times, like, the people who you're closest to are almost, like, the worst positioned to be Mm -hmm. what you need in that moment because they're too close. Right. It's, It's a lot less pressure you know, unburdening yourself to a stranger than it is mm-hmm. to somebody who's, who, you know, you have to see every year at Christmas. Yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> and, and, you know, wanting to kind of, like you said, that was interesting what you said about like kind of putting up a facade. I mean, like there's a reason people do that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean that, that can be really hard to let down. Right. Especially yeah. with the people you're close to, not like that. I, I would say that's almost harder with mm-hmm. people you're close to. Yeah, and yeah. I mean that's that's something I even still struggle with today. Um, not nearly as much, and they aren't as bad. But it's putting up walls that I don't want people to be able to see through. Because right. um, yeah, like I definitely I had. The best analogy I can give is my life was like the Great Wall of China of it's this giant wall that you're not going to break down and you're not going to be able to get through unless you have like just this unbelievable force that you can use to get through it. I'm trying really hard not to make a Great Wall movie joke right now. <laughs> and, uh, um, I want that noted and appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's important because I think now, like, the walls that I put up now are not... They aren't necessarily to keep people away as much as it is to keep myself away from sharing too much. That's a good way of putting um, it. Because I don't want to scare somebody. Like, I don't want to share something with somebody the first time I meet them or the second time I meet them. And something that I shared scared them because they're like, oh, wow, this person has a, like, a troubled past, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. that's something I've had to really work on is putting back up not even walls but barriers or barricades that for myself and not the other way where it's like the the wall before was directed I mean you could use an analogy like a one-way traffic of I would not let anything out and I wouldn't let anybody in so nobody was doing anything Hmm. whereas then I got to a point where it was I was letting everything out and nobody in Mm -hmm. because I was letting too much out. And now it's, I'm letting people in and I'm gradually letting things out. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there have been exceptions where I've accidentally shared like my whole story because it just organically came up in a conversation Mm -hmm. and that's totally different. But in general, it's a... Is something that you learn over time. Um, that me moving up here right after college, basically six months after going through this big change, um, 
was something I had to learn very quickly. And I think it, and when I say very quickly, I mean it took me two years to learn it. Of I can't share everything right away because yep. otherwise people are going to be like, all right, most people are onions, you peel them back. This dude is literally just like, I don't even know of anything, a potato where you peel one small layer off and mm-hmm. there's right. the whole thing. Right. Yeah. It's just a killer analogy game. You have I, I was going to say, and with that, <laughs> Ben is an onion. Um. <laughs> ben, ben has blossomed. I used to be a potato, but now I'm an onion. Exactly. I used to be a potato, but he's blossomed into the onion that we know and love. Exactly. Um, we've been talking for quite a while here, guys. Um, and like we said, this is a topic that we're going to keep coming back to yeah. over and over again. There is a lot that hasn't even been said. Yep. Um, before we do final wrap up here, once again, mom, I love you. And I promise, guys, <laughs> she's she understands now. So, mm-hmm. that, again, that conversation greatly changed things. I, I want that to be clear. And I was not ragging on her at all in any of those comments. No, that was just the reality of it, of mm-hmm. where she was. Having that conversation has greatly changed. And that relationship with my mom and my sister is fantastic now. No. Um, I just want to make that very clear also the audience. I love my mother to death. I, I'm not <laughs> picking on her at all. Honestly, the fact that you guys are able to have that conversation at all is yep. pretty right. huge. Like that, yep. That's really cool. Right. So, final thoughts on beer. Ben, I see you just finished off yours yeah i needed to take a last like fairly large drink of it just to the whole mouth feel in general this beer amazes me I, it literally doesn't change flavor honestly it's still very much it's still bitter on the back end um granted bear in mind i did eat uh a bowl of cheese balls before this because I needed to get something that would just kind of deaden everything uh, today. Um, but yeah, I mean, there you can definitely taste the cocoa at the beginning. Um, it's more bitter at the end. Some hints of caramel, like not much, honestly. Which I honestly I appreciate because I think if they had too much caramel in it that it would be it would be too sweet. To me, it's the right yeah. it's the right amount of sweetness in this beer. Yeah, no, I'm I'm loving the kind of main note of bitterness to it. That's and I, I say bitterness. I, what I mean is that like cocoa bitterness. It's yep. like yeah. that like it kind of like it's almost like a slow release kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, um, yeah, develops like in your mouth yeah. as you're tasting. Were yeah, we like, not supposed to brush our teeth right before this? <laughs> that would taste so bad. Oh my. Man, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm learning so much. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. It's a great beer. Um, yeah, surprisingly, so we kept talking about with a bunch of the other stuffs that we've tried, that, that idea that as it warms up, the sweetness almost comes up further. Mm-hmm. This one is almost different. Like... When it was really cold, like you got a little bit of that kind of like sweet on the front end mm-hmm. that turned into the bitter. I feel like that sweetness kind of deadens away as it gets warmer mm-hmm. and it just kind of settles into that. Yeah, like that cocoa is the best way to describe it because like you take a sip and you're like, hmm, that's really good. And then like after you swallow, like it starts to hit your mouth and you're like, yeah, that like bitter taste of like if you just mm-hmm. ate like straight baking cocoa or something like yeah. that, like that. But it's not bad. Like I really right. enjoy it. I think it's a great beer. Um, 
obviously we all agree ben and i had tried it before we wanted mm -hmm. jordan to be able to try it as well and i wanted like i said to dive into it now that i actually understood it it is still not my favorite beer we've had no it is the smoothest beer we've had yes yeah, I'd agree but it's not my favorite. There, there's beer. almost no alcohol taste in it, right? Mm -hmm. Smooth without feeling like something's missing, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. It still feels like a very full-bodied beer, if mm. that's the right way of saying yeah. it. But um, oh, you got it. You're learning, and I love this. Oh, this is man. my favorite. I'm, I'm learning Look so fast and so hard right now. We're He's so, so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm I'm a big fan. Wonderful. Well, thanks guys for listening. Like I said, we'll we'll be coming back to this topic in the future again. Don't know what we'll be talking about next week, but we look forward to seeing you guys then.